Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. Let's get right into it. Last year, I think probably around 20, uh, excuse me, uh, January, February, I recorded an episode called Becoming a Market Revolutionary, where I gave you six mindsets of what the great strategic coach Dan Sullivan calls Game Changers. In fact, I have a whole book that Dan Sullivan wrote called Game Changers. And I went deep on all of those. I think it was an hour-long podcast. might even have been a two-parter. But, of course, I changed a few of them, as is fairly common for me. Uh, In fact, I've linked to that episode in the blog and in the show notes of this episode. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode again, uh, feel free. While I am a firm believer in all six of those game changers or what I called market revolutionary mindsets and have used every one of them in my businesses. There are three that I find myself focusing on almost daily. So I thought I would restate them, those three, those three key ones in this episode, along with some updated thoughts that I've had on each of those a year after recording that episode. The first mindset of market revolutionaries and really anybody with what I would call or what we refer to as a prosperity mindset instead of a lack mindset is that there is no competition for whatever it is you do. Whatever business you're in, whether you're an appraiser, an agent, a lender, an accountant, or an Uber driver, doesn't matter. As soon as you're thinking in terms of competition, you shift your mind into lack thinking and you've focused on them the competition, instead of you and your value proposition. Now, of course, it's it's not to say you, you never think about or look at what the competition is doing, but I'll talk about that. You can look at the competition and it can trigger you to go, oh, they're doing something that I think we should be doing. But when you focus on them as your sole purpose, your sole reason for existing is to beat them, you place the focus on them instead of on you and your value proposition. And again, not that it's a bad thing to study what potential competitors are doing and then kind of reverse engineering uh, what they're doing to make your stuff even better, but an obsession with competing and beating ultimately drives creativity and profitability out of the game. That's, That's the net result of a focus on competition. When you focus on competition, you're essentially saying that the total market of possibilities is a pie with only so many pieces. And if we all want a piece, then the pieces have to get smaller and smaller. The more players or the more participants or the more pie eaters that there are. And that is a lack mindset versus a prosperity mindset that that basically says, well, we can cook more pies. And market revolutionaries simply make a completely new pie or they make the pie bigger. They expand the pie. And so a focus on scarcity eventually turns everything into a war on price, driving profitability into the floor. We see that in a lot of industries. Uh, In fact, I see appraisers all the time. I see agents. I see lenders doing this on a daily basis where their message is essentially, pick me, pick me. That's what they shout to the rooftops. Pick me. I'm better than that one. They do this while we do this. I have the lowest fees. I have the best rates, et cetera, et cetera. Innovation, my friends, is always about pushing for faster, easier, more convenient, cheaper, better results. And as we've talked about in prior episodes, a better experience for the customer, client, or consumer. Always. It's always, it's never, innovation is never pushing for harder, 
less convenient, more expensive, crappier results, and a crappier experience for the client or the customer. Never. It goes the opposite. It's pushing for faster, easier, more convenient, cheaper, better results, and a better experience for the person who's purchasing that. Always. Innovation doesn't push for the worst. It pushes for the best for the consumer. Sometimes things end up that way, but that's because the people playing the game don't understand what the market of clients and customers is looking for. We, we run into that all the time in a lot of industries. People thinking they're the best at something, but they never ask the customer. They never ask the client. We see this in the appraisal business in spades. No innovation whatsoever for the appraiser side of the fence or from the appraiser side of the fence. All of the innovation coming from the client side of the fence essentially, or at least driving the innovation, pushing for the innovation. Very rarely do you see appraisers on their side of the fence going, we should really innovate here. No, it's being pushed to them from the client and the customer side. So what do appraisers do? Well, they complain. Hey, customer and client, how dare you change the game on us? What, who are you? You want better? You want faster? You want cheaper? and you want a better experience, how dare you have expectations that align with the standard market desires and, they, and follow all evolutionary laws of adapt or die? How dare you? The game is being played with a competition mindset, except that most are playing against the wrong competitors. Most people are looking outward and trying to decide who to shoot at when they should be looking inward and competing against themselves daily to deliver the best ideas and creativity to the people who are paying them. It's like a, a game of golf. You're competing against your last game. You're competing against your last stroke. You're competing against your last drive. Yes, you might be playing against somebody else, but ultimately those are games that we play against ourselves to get better. You're trying to shave one more stroke off of your game. And in business, we should be competing against our best last time or our last best time our last best product, our last best delivery, our last best experience. Now, how do we take it to the next level and do even better? And when you make your business about ideas, about creativity, about possibility and competing against your last best time, your last best score, your last best product, and you turn everything into a new game that most likely very few others are playing, you're the only one. You've created a new category. There is absolutely no scarcity of possibilities and ideas out there, my friends. Only a scarcity of creativity with a massive side order of complacency. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. What happens when a market screams for innovation and gets nothing but their own voice echoing back to them? You get commoditization. We talk about it all the time. The market says, fine, you're not going to innovate. You're not going to make it better for us. You're not going to work on how to deliver a better, faster, cheaper, higher quality and better experience or a more creative solution to our problem. We're telling you what the problem is. Fine. Then we will commoditize it for you. We will make it cheaper, faster, better, but we'll do it based on our rules. Now, for some reason, every time I talk about commoditization, I automatically think of and use the example of shoelaces. I don't know why. They just seem like a, the easiest commodity, commodity to think of for me. And I know there's a lot of commodities out there. We go shopping, you can see commodities all around. They seem like the perfect example to me, though. The more They, they are more or less indistinguishable from a brand standpoint. At least they were. 
I'll talk about how they've changed a little bit. They're almost purely utilitarian. I mean, you, you need shoelaces to tie your shoe, plain and simple. They are relatively inexpensive, and you only need them once in a blue moon. The only time you would need them is if you buy a pair of shoes or boots and you don't like the, sh- the, the laces that are in there, so you, you get a different color, or shoelaces break. That's the only time you need them. I play hockey about once every three, four years. I need to buy new hockey laces. They, they eventually break because you're reefing on them so hard to tie your, your boots. And then when you go to buy them, you're not going to pay a dollar more for the exact same thing right next to that if you perceive those laces to be the same in every way, why would you? The principle of substitution says, why would somebody pay more if, if everything else is the same? The principle of substitution says, in most cases where, where two things are exactly alike, people will always settle for the lowest unless there is a hassle in acquiring that cheaper version. So if we go a little deeper, let's take this a little further. Shoelaces as a commodity. I am a hater of shoelaces. There's very few things I hate in this world. Shoelaces are one of them. I hate the idea of and the act of doing something over and over that I I shouldn't have to do. And I hate the idea of bending over to tie shoes. If you ever meet me in person, let's hope you do. I would love to meet you. Take a look at my shoes or boots if I'm wearing boots and you will see some form of slip-on. Even if it looks like a shoe that ties, if it has laces in it, it's a slip-on. I guarantee it. If it is wintertime and I'm outside, I will be wearing a pair of uh, Doc Martin slip-on boots or a pair of Cabela's winter boots that have the uh, BOA, if you're familiar with skiing and snowboarding boots, BOA snowboard boot lace system, where you just smack this little dial and you turn it and it's, it's connected to wires that are the laces and it tightens everything up. You just turn the dial. No, no tying and untying. I loathe the idea that I would do something like tie up my shoes once and then have to bend down in a parking lot somewhere and tie them again because they've come untied, which is a dangerous situation. We'll just double knot them, Blaine. No. I don't want to have to overcompensate for an inferior system and somebody else's lack of creativity and innovation in shoelace technology. We've had 200 years to figure this crap out and only a few innovators have addressed this issue. Now, you might be tempted to think that since I only wear some form of slip-on shoe, even though I buy shoes that, that have laces, I love nice shoes. And I love to have some kind of style. So when I see a nice pair of, um, say, Echo brand sneakers, very high, high quality uh, shoe, On Cloud is a super nice shoe, Johnston and Murphy's, I have a bunch of those, some other really well-built shoe, but it has laces. I still buy them, but I immediately go on Amazon and I replace all the laces with what I can only imagine was the brainchild of somebody like you or me sitting around railing against the asininity of traditional shoelaces before they suddenly had a creative moment. Like, why don't we solve this problem? Somebody got innovative at some point and they developed shoelaces that are stretchy. And they look exactly like traditional shoelaces, except that they stretch. And you replace those outdated and ridiculous cloth shoelaces with those little ninth wonders of the world, and voila, your shoes now become slip-ons. Because as you slip your foot into it, the shoelaces flex and stretch, but they retain the look and the feel that they were originally designed for, shoes with laces. So somebody decided they didn't want to play in the commoditized market of shoestring technology, and they changed the game 
with their creativity. Now, here's the important thing. Are these laces, are they commoditized? Are they $3 like traditional shoelaces? No. They're somewhere between $13 and $18, depending on the length and the color. And I gladly, happily pay it because it solves the problem that I have. This particular example is one that I'm going to talk about more in a bit where the the drive for faster, easier, more convenient, and cheaper leads to new opportunities for market revolutionaries to create something that is more expensive that the market gobbles up. My friends, the market for ideas is unlimited. The only limits are the ones that you place on your own creativity and your own innovation mindset. Make your business about ideas and about creativity rather than about delivering a commodity. Appraisers are being fooled into believing that they and their product aren't a commodity because it's in high demand at the moment. This is a feint. It's a fake. Yes, they're in, we're as appraisers are in high demand right now. Our appraisals are not a commodity, but in general, they are. Something can be scarce and in high demand and still be a commodity. It's a commodity if the product and the service is indistinguishable between one or another. And when one appraisal looks and tastes like another appraisal, and the one creating and delivering the product is a nameless, faceless entity, which essentially is that what, what, what most appraisers are to their clients, just a random round robin of ordering, then it is starting to look and smell like a commodity where the market will start to only distinguish based on price, speed, and convenience. You might know the difference. I hear appraisals all the time. Oh, I'm the best in my market. I'm smart. I got all these letters after my name. Our appraisals are better. I guarantee you, because we've talked to lenders, we've talked to underwriters, yes, they like quality, but most likely they're looking past most of it. And when you are a nameless, faceless entity to most of your clients, your product is starting to look and smell like a commodity. And, that, and then when, when, it's, when the commoditization process begins, then the market only distinguishes based on price, speed, and convenience. And to take yourself out of that category, you've got to become a game changer, a market revolutionary that thinks from the position of the biggest and worst problems of your clients and your competitors, and then you solve them creatively. Make your business about ideas and innovation, and then there's no competition. That's the first thing. The second thing that I think market revolutionaries focus on is what I refer to as being a freedom fighter. Freedom fighters are always fighting for five areas of freedom. Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach, talks about four of them. I think he leaves one out. Time freedom, financial freedom, relationship freedom, health freedom, and freedom of purpose. Entrepreneurs venture off on their own to do what? To control their own destiny. We might say we went into business to do it better or some other high-minded exclamation, but the innate drive is to have more freedom, essentially, to control your destiny. As an entrepreneur, you should be able to spend your time the way you choose, when you choose it, doing the things you choose to do, and only with the people you choose to do it with. That's called time freedom, and you should be fighting for it with everything you've got because time is one of our most precious commodities. I say it on almost every show. If you look at your life and you have no time as a business owner, this is one of the greatest ironies of coaching real estate appraisers and agents and lenders over the last five years. Business owners. If you have no time as a business owner, you may have been better off working for somebody else where you'd get some 
paid time off. You'd get some paid vacation, no weekends, no hassle. If you're going to take on the hassles and the risks of running a business, time should be one of your greatest rewards. Yes, we should get paid, but you ultimately go into business to have freedom. So be a freedom fighter. The next one is financial freedom. It's something you should be striving for and fighting for because nobody else cares at all about it for you. Without going too deep on the different levels of financial freedom, I've done a whole podcast on the multiple levels of financial freedom. What I will say about this one is that there should be a sense of the fact that the money you receive is modest relative to the amount of value you deliver to your clients and customers. I don't care if you're making $100,000, a million dollars, or $10 million. The amount of money you receive should be considered modest for the value you bring to the world and the value you deliver to your clients and your customers. Are you helping your clients and customers lead better lives as a result of doing business with you? In in essence, are you leveling them up? Are you making them better? Are they better with you versus without you? And when you can honestly answer yes to this one, you are likely on your way to being a financial freedom fighter. Of course, there are levels. I want you to, to develop wealth and freedom from a financial sense, but this takes it deeper. This is where we're delivering so much more value than what we're getting paid. That should be the thought in your mind. I make great money, but it's because I deliver five, 10, five times, 10 times the value than what the client is paying. The next one is relationship freedom. Relationship freedom means spending your time only with people you enjoy spending time with and bring value to your life. This is a big one, folks. And I get it. Sometimes in business, we have to deal with people that we wouldn't choose to spend time with otherwise. Totally get that. But what I'm referring to, however, is in the grand sense, not on a day-to-day basis, but in a grand sense, not, a, not the occasional rude client or customer. That's just part of doing business sometimes. But a market revolutionary fights for the freedom to fire the a-holes that no longer bring value to your business, and that you no longer want to deal with. It's one of the benefits of being in business. A freedom fighter recognizes that clients who cause us stress and anxiety will ultimately lead to an early grave. Stress and anxiety are the two greatest causes of heart disease. So whatever money those people bring to your business isn't worth the hassle, in my opinion. You, it might look, at, look, look like it on a PL. It might look like it today. You go, well, we can't get rid of them. They bring a lot of business. They bring a lot of money. But if you're putting up with crap that you shouldn't have to put up with, fire them. They get fired and we instantly begin to attract better and more appreciative clients. When you keep clients like that, that's an internal issue with you. Let them go. The breakup needs to exist, needs to happen. The next thing is health freedom. And health freedom is exactly as it sounds. You take control of your health and your wellness instead of letting the world dictate it for you. There is no such thing as the excuse of, I'm too busy to eat good. I'm too busy to work out. I'm too busy to take care of myself. Nobody's coming to save you. It's up to each of us to focus some portion of every day in beating the decline and chasing excellence. The alternative, my friends, is to continually decline, even if it's relatively slowly. Decline over time to the point where your life and your activities are defined by your inabilities and your limitations instead of your abilities, your creativity, your inspiration, and possibility thinking. Do you want your life defined by your inabilities and your limitations, or do you want it defined by what is possible for you? In fact, I was in a conversation with some friends over dinner last year, 
And the wife of my friend was telling us a story of how her parents, who are in their mid-80s, just came back from a trip around the world where they went skydiving, mountain biking, and, and a whole host of other adventures that, that were just like that in their mid-80s. Now, you that doesn't may not sound fun to you. I get it. You might not want to do that stuff in your 80s, and that's just fine. But you don't want to be limited by your inabilities and your lack of mobility. This kind of touches on the, 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 the deferred pleasure plan of retirement. Why wait until the end of your life, the worst of your life for many people, when, when life is defined by your lack, your, your, your inabilities, and your limitations physically, and maybe mentally or otherwise, to enjoy life it needs to be enjoyed now. You should want to have the choice to do those things if desired, and the best way to guarantee it is by fighting daily for your health. Nobody else is going to do it for you. It's on you. Now, the last thing that market revolutionaries fight for is freedom of purpose. In essence, your purpose should not be dictated or swayed by anybody else's opinion, agenda, or outside circumstances. There can be no force outside of you that's controlling your growth and your expansion. Your ideas, your, the possibilities, your, and your creativity cannot be dependent on somebody else's approval. Get clear on your purpose and become a role model for these five areas of freedom. Become a freedom fighter. Now, this last one, my friends, it's a little bit of a disruptor, and it might rankle some folks, and I'm okay with that. This is the playing big. This is the real value podcast. We're playing big. I mentioned in last week's episode how if you play any kind of sport, there are times where you end up playing against people or teams who are in some way extremely mismatched with your skill level. And you end up getting smoked. You get beat bad. It can be embarrassing. You lost horribly at that sport. It's happened to me many, many times. And afterwards, you have the option to either be upset about the inequality that you experienced and maybe complain to the officials about, oh, the team isn't, it's mismatched. Or you chalk it up to an awesome opportunity and experience to grow. You got beat bad, but you hopefully learned something. My friends, almost all growth opportunities come out of the skill disparity experiences that we have in life. I'll say it again. Almost all of our opportunities to grow come from our experiences when there is a massive skill disparity. When somebody is better than us. When we get beat really, really bad at something if you're big enough to allow that growth to occur and not let it tap your ego. You faced somebody that raised the stakes of the game and you were either deflated or you were inspired. Market revolutionaries raise the stakes and they force others to either come up to their level and play the game better or they concede and they lose and they give up. You might keep playing the game at the lower level, but in essence, by continuing to play at that low, lower level, you're losing. And the commoditization process is in effect. It might just take a long time. I heard Benny Kinney one time say on the pod, the Win Make Give podcast, sometimes you're losing so slowly you think you're winning. And that's what happens. It might take a long time. Your health might decline over a long period of time. And people tend not to do anything about it until they have an emergency. But you can't wait. Once you have the emergency, it's too late. You can play the game at a lower level, sometimes for a long time while the commoditization or the decline is happening. Sometimes you're losing so slowly you think you're winning. And that part can be tough for people to accept. You have to create some level in business of inequality. This is the part that rankles some folks. 
We can't all be equal in everything. When you're doing something big in business, you're simply going to create and also expose some disparity in skill sets, in abilities, in service levels, and in understanding of the needs of the customer. Some people just do it better. And those satisfied with mediocrity and being average, well, they're going to be upset. They just will. They want it easy. They don't want anybody raising the stakes and creating inequality and disparity in how things are done. They'd rather lower the standards so that everybody can play and that ultimately leads to a bunch of very low-level players entering the game. Let's make it okay for everybody to play. No, you can't. In business, you can't do that. There are some areas of life where equality is super, super important. But when it comes to business, you have to create some disparity so that the market can see this. these people are playing at a very high level and it creates that disparity. And of course, the people who aren't playing at that level get upset. When low-level players enter the game, the overall skill level drops. They drag the curve down and then only the outstanding players stand out. So the question is twofold. Do you lower the standards so that everybody can play or do you raise the level of play with the hope that others will be inspired to raise their standards and rise to the new level of play that you've set? Market revolutionaries don't care about equality when it comes to business. Understand what I'm talking about. They are in it to disrupt and to create disparity. This sounds horrible because when people hear that, they conflate creating market and business disparity with creating disparity and inequality in the world. These are two different ideas. It's not to say that business innovation and disruption hasn't caused disparity and inequality in the world. That's just a whole different podcast. What we're talking about in this episode is how market revolutionaries, those who change the game, in any industry are seeking to create disparity between the way it's being done and the way they think it should be done. They're taking the market from where the market is to where they believe it should be. And by the way, not everyone benefits from this disparity and inequality. The market usually does, but those playing don't. There are many in business and in industries who are playing an old and outdated game where their income, their position, their title, their reputation, their pension, and their power is tied to that old way of doing business. And they are going to lose all of those things as the game changes. Of course, they're not going to be happy. And by the way, little tip, if you ever want to know where the game is being changed, just look for where a bunch of people are complaining and begging for things to go back the way they were. Look for people who are telling stories. Back in my day, we did it this way. means the game has changed. The point of innovation is to highlight and multiply those disparities in favor of the market, in favor of the customer, in favor of the client. The point of business is to multiply disparity and inequalities in the direction of productivity, service, product, quality, and profitability. Progress is not made by protecting people in their inefficiencies and comfort zones. Never. That's not how progress is made. Progress is made by disrupting and creating disparities and inequality. When you protect people in their comfort zones, their inefficiencies and their weaknesses, you make them even weaker. You're not helping them be stronger. You give them a false sense of protection and comfort because they think things will never change. So they don't have to. Market revolutionaries force people to step up. They level people up and they use their brains and their bodies differently. 
People are forced to use their talents differently when they're around game changers, market revolutionaries, and some don't like to be pushed. I learned training in Aikido that when, when pushed, most people will push back. If you push somebody, they give you an equal amount of force. It's innate to want to give force where force is felt and experienced. The philosophy of Aikido is that when pushed, move with the push. Step back, move with the energy of the push, absorb it or redirect it. Step to the side, let the energy pass you by. That's the Aikido philosophy. When pushed, pull, and when pulled, move with it. Game-changing businesses constantly push people and competitors to be better. You either rise to the new level that's been created or you choose to continue playing an old game. And then you're in that position where you are losing so slowly, you actually think you're winning. You're not. Now, remember earlier when I said that innovation always moves in the direction of faster, easier, cheaper, and better results for the customer? Well, that hasn't changed in the 26 or eight minutes that it's taken to get to this point. But what it does is that it also creates an opportunity for new ways of doing business where cheaper is not the solution. And in fact, when the game changes, there's always breakthrough opportunities to be the most expensive, high quality provider of products and services. With faster, easier, and cheaper comes more disparity, more gap for the market to clearly distinguish the difference between the low cost, the mid, and the high cost, high quality. And where, when there's disparity because somebody's changing the game, there's greater opportunity to show the market why the most expensive is the most expensive. It becomes easier because there's context. We'll look at the crap we're getting at the low end. Ah, now I know why we pay more. And if the most expensive ends up being the best choice because it delivers more value than it costs, well, then you become the premium provider of products and services. You become the $15 shoelaces. It's, it, and if that's what you choose to do, more power to you. Become a market revolutionary. Until next week, my friends, I'm out.